Hi guys, welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's episode, I speak to Les Spellman, a brilliant speed coach that is making a lot of teams and players across the NFL faster, amongst other sports. Les has a really incredible story about how he got into the industry and is providing an unbelievable service to both sport, but also the community around where he lives. I hope you all enjoy this episode. And if you're a regular listener, then please, please subscribe to show your support to the show and you'll receive new episodes as soon as they come out. Les, welcome to the show from the other side of America to me. Um, I'm actually in your former town and your former college as we speak right now. Oh, nice, nice. Thank you. Where, where are you at right now? Are you at, t- at Temple? At Temple, yeah. I'm sat in a recording nice. studio on the uh, on the main campus, so uh, it's a bit warm, but it's uh, I guess it's nostalgic for you. Yeah, no, I miss it there. <laughs> I definitely miss it there. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Just for the listeners' benefit, can you share your story? Um, normally, guests uh, begin with you know what their professional education was and their career, but I know your journey leading up even to that point is fascinating. Can you give us the kind of the full story? Yeah, for sure. So you want the full, full story or the abbreviated full story? <laughs> uh, if you've got time, the full, full story, because I think it's a good one. Yeah, for sure. So for me, the journey started in high school. Um, I was a pretty mediocre athlete. Like <clears throat> I was never, you know, top in anything. Like I, I was hardly even on varsity, I think, by my junior year. And um, I was at a really good school. St. John's, which is nationally ranked in a lot of sports, but you know, I was kind of falling through the cracks in terms of like my level of athleticism. And a lot of that had to do with like just outside influences. You know, I was going through a lot of things and, you know, the way that I handled them wasn't through sports. I was, you know, getting in trouble and hanging with some of the wrong people. So I didn't realize that sports was such a good outlet at the time. So what happened was my senior year, um, you know, hanging with the wrong people. At this point, I'd quit sports altogether. And I got in a really bad car accident. And we were going about 120 miles an hour, hit a median and slammed into an on-ramp, going, uh, getting off at an exit. And what happened was we hit those little yellow barrels that are filled with sand, and it actually split the car in half. So right on my door, it broke the door open. And in the process, it broke the whole left side of my body. So my femur, my right arm uh, concussed me knocked me out so I get airlifted to the hospital when I get there they're like look you know you're you're a half an inch away from your artery obviously I'm not aware of this like everything that I'm saying this was related to me later but uh it was a half the bone broke in half split and it was half an inch away from my major artery and they're like there's a potential chance we got to take take the leg so I go into surgery um come out and they found a way to, to save my leg I had one of the best surgeons out there at the time. He was the guy actually invented the the rod. It's, a, it's called the intermedullary rod. It goes from your hip down to your knee. He invented that that surgery. So I got really lucky. He was on on call that night. Um, so he, they put the rod in my leg, and you know they come to my bedside the next day, and they're like, "Hey, Les, like you're not going to be able to run with this thing in here. Like there's there's too much pressure going on your knee, and you know the screws that are in there. It's just it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to run." And uh, actually, in fact, like walking is going to be difficult for you for the next, you know, X amount of years, if not the rest of your life. So they recommended that I get a cane, you know, after I go through rehab and I'll be walking with a cane the rest of my life. So my initial reaction is like, OK, dude, this is this is not real. I'm not this isn't happening. So kind of denied it. Then I got angry, went through the process of that. 
and I'm at home and, you know, my mom takes these pills, you know, the, what, I don't know what they give you, like Percocet or something like that. And she dumped them out. She's like, you're going to figure this out. And I was like, what? And I'm sitting here. I can't move. I'm in bed. You know, now I have no medication. The pain is so bad. I'm having hallucinations because they, they have me on morphine for nearly a month in the ICU and I'm having withdrawals. And it was, it was awful, awful. So I go through that process and, you know, I figured out, I was like, you know what, I'm going to take this one step at a time. So I started reading. First book I read was Lance Armstrong's book. And I was like, okay, this dude beat cancer and he's back on a bike. You know, side note, like minus everything that Lance did illegally, you know, that, that book itself inspired me. That was the first thing that inspired me. So I was like, okay, cool. I can do this. So mentally, I just figured out every single day when my mom leaves for work, I'm going to get on my walker and I'm going to start putting a little bit of pressure on my leg every day. So I did that every day for about a month. Then the next month I was like, you know what? Okay. So now I'm going to start, I'm going to start actually getting off the walker and just like kind of hopping and then putting a little bit of pressure on my legs. I did that, you know, went through that process. So it was like step by step by step. So anyway, save you time. Six months later, I started getting in the pool. Eight months later, I started doing um, walking upstairs, like very slowly. And then I started walking with a cane and then a walker, you know, just went through the process. So a year later, I started walking. Then from that, that point, I was like, okay, cool. I, I started walking. I think I can go to the next level. I want to start running. So I started getting in the pool with weights, started running in the pool. I started, uh, you know, just walking, you know, a mile or so a day. Um, 18 months from the date of the accident, I ran for the first time. It was January 28, 2009. I ran for the first time. And it was like super slow. I ran 80 minutes and I went like, I don't know, five miles, four miles. Like it was nothing. So I was like, okay, cool. Like check that box. So from that date for the next six months, I ran every single day. So very slow at first, picked it up, picked it up, picked it up. At the end of that six months, I ran a 10 mile race and I ran it in 67 minutes. So I had gone from bedridden to two years later running 10, you know, six minute miles for 10, 10, 10 miles. And I'm not a runner when it comes down to like distance or anything like that. So that was huge for me. So my mom told me, she's like, look, I think you're a good runner. And at the time I was boxing, I had become a really good boxer because, you know, it didn't involve running or anything. I just, I could stand there and throw punches with some of the best guys in the country. So my mom was like, Hey, look, if you can walk on to a track team in college, then you can't box anymore. I said, all right, cool. So I went, I went to a Temple University and, and I walked in the coach's office and I had a black eye because I just, just got an eye surgery from a fight. And I walked in his office and I was like, hey, I'm Wes, you know, I want to try out for track. So he goes, cool. Uh, what are your times? I was like, I, I've never run track before. He's like, oh man, he's like, I, I can't have you on my team. This is division one. Like, he's like, this guy in the room right here, he runs 47 in the 400. That run, that guy runs 10-3. I'm like, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I want to try out. So I came back every day for about a week. This is Coach Mobley. So I, I got to send this to Coach Mobley when I'm done. But um, finally, he was like, Les, you can try out, but you have to do the cross-country tryout, which is a four-mile time trial, which is all hills. I was like, cool. <laughs> so I show up. I'm thinking I got this. Like, I'm like, I ran every single day. Like, you know, I'm in shape. Like, I've 
eating right, you know. And I started off, I was running with these guys and I was doing pretty good. About a mile in, they pick it up and they pick it up again and they pick it up again. So long story short, I came in way last. Like I finished five minutes after the, the slowest guy. So I'm walking away and I'm like, there's no way I made the team. And Coach Moby's like, I just wanted to see if you were going to quit. He's like, come back to practice tomorrow. So that that's how it started. So from that point forward, that was like that was uh, September 2009, and um, I, I made the track team Division One. So I spent my college years running track at Temple, and you know, Coach Moby helped me a lot. I got strong, got my legs stronger. You know, squatting a lot, lifting a lot. You know, doing doing all the things I thought would make me faster. And at first, I got a lot faster because I I hadn't been doing any running. But then I hit this point where I was like, you know what? There's something flawed within the system because me doing all these workouts isn't necessarily making me faster. I th- I, and I was like, you know what? I think the thing that's going to make me faster is to become more mechanically efficient. So I tried to go to everybody. Went to my strength coach, went to my coaches, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you definitely need to get better technique. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? Oh, you know, just get more flexible, get stronger. All right, cool. So I did yoga every day. I got stronger, came back, still slow. I'm like, and slow, slow is relative. Like I wasn't that slow but in comparison to like the fastest people in the world. I'm like, how are they the fastest people in the world? It's not, to me, it's not just muscle fibers. It's not just that. Like, you know, it had to be something different because when I looked at my running form from a side view and I looked at Usain Bolt, I'm like, whoa, this is way different. Like it's, we're doing two different things here. So that's when I started to become obsessed with the biomechanics point of, of running. I started studying everything I could. So reading books like anatomy trains or reading, you know, any, any book I can come across in physical therapy or any book I can come across on, on running. And what I realized is there wasn't a whole lot out there. There wasn't, there wasn't a technical model for running that I could easily understand and apply to my running that day or that week or that month to make me a better athlete. And I was like, okay, there has to be, there has to be something. So my goal from that point forward, this is my senior year. It was like, you know what? I want to create that model so that athletes that were in situations like mine where maybe they weren't the best athlete or maybe they had an injury or maybe they just wanted to become a better athlete. They had a tool and a resource to go to, to figure out how to run better and quickly. So I took that from my senior year. I started, I played rugby for a little bit in the Olympic development program, but, you know, I wasn't really that great at it, but it was a way for me to stay in sports after college. And then I did my internship at ET, EFT Sports Performance in Chicago. And that was like the greatest experience of my life. I, you know, I went there and I went to the owner, Elias, and I said, Elias, um, you know, I ran track in college and, you know, I want to, I want to work here. I want to work out. So kind of the same situation as track. He said, okay, what's your experience? I said, I, I don't have any. I just got, you know, I just got my degree. He's like, oh, perfect. Cool. We'll take you on. I was like, I got my degree in communications. He's like, you didn't get a degree in kinesiology or sports science? No, communication. He's like, dude, I, I can't hire you. Like, there's nothing for you to do. So I actually got hired on as a janitor. And what I did was I basically washed out protein shakers and I, I vacuumed and I cleaned the weights and I, I did the mirrors. And at night when everyone left, I mopped and I, and I slept in the gym and I stayed there for over a year just doing that. And, you know, it was a, 
a couple months into that year, I, you know, I was, I was keeping a notebook with me every day, like a little pocket notebook. And I was writing down everything that I saw. I was writing down, you know, what the workouts were, what the warm up was like, what the energy was like, what the athletes responded to, what they didn't respond to when they lost their attention, like every detail. So eventually one of the coaches didn't show up and Elias was like, Hey Les, can you run a warm up? Do you know how to do it? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, just read off the board. I was like, uh, no, I got it. <laughs> so I, I did the warm up, and, uh, you know, just, just off of memory. And he was like, Oh, I think you could do that. You're pretty good at it. So I worked my way up from warm up to, you know, doing the core stuff to doing, you know, the prehab station to doing like there are stations in there and, you know, eventually doing the lifting. And then finally I got to the speed section. I'm like, cool. So when I started doing the speed work there, I fell in love with the process of it. Like I, I took kids and at the time I had so much energy because it was new to me. And I would take kids that were JV level and they would go to varsity. I'm like, cool. That was fun. And then I would take a couple of varsity kids to college. All right. That was fun. You know, and then I'm starting to realize like, dang, I, I can actually do this. So, you know, long story short, and I'll wrap this up in a second. I, um, I, I wanted to go to California. I just, I had it on my vision board since I was in college. So I drove all the way out to Cali, slept in my car, and I started sending out emails to people to train kids. I started training kids in parks for free all around the city. And, um, you know, that's that's the beginning. <laughs> that's like the, the beginning of, of, of this process. From that process is like, there's a whole other story, but that was like the basics of like how it started. Do you know what? That's I. I knew a little bit about your story, but that is uh, that's more than I knew. Um, and I, mm-hmm. while I was listening to you, I was kind of speechless as to how many tangents I could go off of just on that alone. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. I, it's really inspiring, actually, because I think there's a tendency for people to try and tick boxes and try and reverse engineer the job they want and what you know, what degree programs, masters, certifications, and experiences they should tick off to get to that dream job. But actually you sound like you've you've done it all off your own steam experientially um and and actually kind of put some skin in the game and coached along the way which i think is yeah. missing sometimes yeah i mean i i never turned down an opportunity to coach and like so now this is i've been around it now for um 30 so like nine eight eight and a half nine years and like when i when i say i coached minimum minimum 20 hours per week for for nine years it you know it's really been probably double that but minimum and i always tell the coaches i'm like look you you have to practice your your craft it's like a skill so when you when a kid comes to you and you tell him your pricing he's like i can't afford it if you're a first second even third year coach and you don't let that kid work out it's it's actually hurting you because you're not getting better at your craft like you i never turned a kid away in the beginning i'm like cool if you can't pay me, I'm going to train you and we're going to figure out a way for you to pay me, you know, eventually down the road. But right now I need to get better. So I'm going to train you because there's so many different types of personalities and people that you're going to meet. And you have to learn how to psychologically be able to develop your skill set so you can get you could change your mechanics by number one, changing their mind. And number two, getting them to trust you. And number three, getting them to actually do what you want them to do. And that takes thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of practice, you know. That's amazing, and what kind of bringing you to the present day? What what is Spellman Performance, and what what does your work look like now? 
Yeah, so Spalman Performance is now um, it's it, we've kind of developed our niche. So eventually, like when I owned a gym the past couple of years, we did everything. We did adult training. We did you know speed. We did strength. We did conditioning. We did everything. Um, but now we've kind of honed in and focused on like what we're best at, which is speed. So right now we consult. Um, so we, either on a private basis or a team basis with um, you know professional teams. Uh, Olympic teams, or we do on a private basis, like NFL players during the off season. We had 50 guys over the off season that trained with us. Um, we had a couple, probably about 10 Olympic athletes that trained with us in the off season. And, um, you know, that's, that's really our top level. And then below that, we have a partnership with the YMCA here in San Diego. So what we're doing is implementing our programming into just the youth market at a general, 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 like, range so we're trying to get as many athletes as possible through our system and you know we kind of look at it like how a long-term athlete development program is built so we're looking at how do we get athletes from eight nine years old to rise through to the professional ranks so what we've done is develop the system a base level system starting at nine years old the athletes are introduced to at a very like simple basic level and then it progresses them through. So by the time we get to high school, they're doing more advanced programming. They're, you know, now we're actually collecting data, more data on them. You know, we're doing all those things. So by the time we get to high school, we're not focusing on the real simple stuff that they should have done when they're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And are these guys, um, are these younger guys kind of specializing or are they playing multi-sports still? No, our goal is that we want, we want athletes to, to do as many sports as possible on, on their way up. So like we have we have a good amount of rugby players, for example, and they play basketball, they play football. Uh, our football kids, we uh, we just started a program over at Lincoln High School to, to do, which is like um, in the inner city high school. Um, we got a rugby program going there in the winter. So a lot of football players are now going to go play rugby. And then we got a lot of athletes running track and baseball. So we feel like athletes should be doing as many sports as possible, you know, until they've really hit that point where, they can't because they're so engulfed in their sport because they're getting highly recruited or they're turning professional the next year. So our system is really built around general athletic movement. When I say speed, we're talking linear, lateral, multidirectional, you know, all of that. But um, what we do is we want to develop the athlete. We want to develop their skill set of movement. So we want to teach them the skill of acceleration, the skill of lateral speed, the skill of max velocity sprinting. Those are all human skills, movement skills that, you know, few people have them innately, but most don't. And, and most athletes need to learn how to, you know, get into extension or they need to learn how to strike the ground under themselves. They need to learn how to decelerate by dropping their hips. And, and that's all what we're teaching. So if you, if you imagine like the skill, like soccer, you learn kicking, you learn, you know, passing, you learn running with the ball. So we have a skill set for movement. You know, we, we have a skill set for the basics from the bottom up, how to develop movement in an athlete. And when you when you've got them later on, so obviously you're you know, what you're talking about now, you're, you're building up that broader physical literacy for them to use in whatever they may be specialized in later. When you've got um, an athlete further down the line who's um, maybe a pro NFL player, um, is there any kind of defining key philosophies that you have to developing speed in those athletes or improving their speed yeah so really like we look at speed in, in three different categories three different buckets and and speed is 
as simple as possible is distance over time. So distance is stride length, which is simple. And then time is two categories. It's how much time you're on the ground, how much time you're in the air. So with those three, three buckets, there's different relationships with each one at different times. So if you look at acceleration, for example, what we've looked at is what is the greatest rate of change in speed and, and running velocity over the course of, let's say, 40 yards? The greatest change happens in the first two, first being the, the largest change, the second being the second largest change. After that, it drops off significantly. There's a huge spike in, in power, velocity, all that in the first two steps. So if we're looking at a football player, the majority of the football players we look at are receivers, DBs, defensive linemen. They're going forward. Now, with the exception of offensive line, they go back sometimes, but or you know, DBs eventually go back. But we're looking at how much velocity can you develop in two steps? And the answer to that is close to 50% of their max velocity happens in the first two steps. So that's the first thing we go to. So when we have a team like Dallas Cowboys came through, uh, their offense, the first thing that we looked at is how do you guys run your first two steps and what percentage velocity of your max velocity do you get to in two steps? From there, we look at if you could do those, those two steps correct, everything else kind of falls into place. So we look at developing extension in that first step. We look at developing an extremely powerful switch. We work on developing extremely fast ground contact time. And then what we do is we assign values to that. So we've developed a system that has values for what is the goal stride length? What is the goal ground contact? What is the goal airtime? And then what we, what we do is we take that athlete and we compare it to what our standard is. And if they're off that standard, then we're like, okay, here's your room for improvement. So if an athlete, you know, in the first ground contact time is at 0.2 seconds and the goal is to be at 0.14, we, we tell that athlete, hey, look, you're, you have a 0 0.06 second improvement, you know, chance of improvement here just on one step. And that, that, that trips them out. And then we explain how to get it. And the process is always the same. It's always off the laws of physics and the laws of, of nature. The closer you can strike to your center of mass and the harder you can get that foot to travel backwards on contact, and then push through extension, then the faster you're going to be. It's all very simple processes. And you, you must get a good breakdown. Uh, sorry, you must get good buy-in um, when you can break down not just the goal of them getting faster or better accelerating, when you can break down even those goals into technical aspects or segments within those uh, movement patterns. You must find you get good buy-in when you can break it huge down that way. Huge buy-in. Yeah. Yeah, huge buy-in. Like, I mean, we're, we had Jason Witten, who's a veteran, you know, a little bit older, you know, and he's seen everything. And we're like, hey, you know, Jason, like you, you can improve 0 0.06 seconds just off this first step. What about the second step? Yeah, okay, well, let's look at that. And then they buy in, like, oh, okay. I, now I know that if I continue doing this on a daily basis or a weekly basis, then I'll reach my goal. Versus, like, before the way we were training speed, I'm not saying it was wrong, but we're looking at it. Oh, yeah, that looked good. That was a good rep. How do you know it's a good rep? You don't. It, you only know if you look at the data and continually look at the data. So we do the first two steps. And then after that, we look at how do you attain max velocity? And that's between three and 10 steps. So our goal is that you want to be at 80% of your max velocity in 10 steps. So from the end of the second step, so beginning of the third through the 10th step, 
how does your body achieve that velocity? And that's huge for receivers, running backs, DBs, you know, guys that are getting to that second level. Like, how do you how do you get that max velocity? And then lastly, we go over max velocity, 80 to 100 percent. So sometimes we don't even touch that for players, you know, defensive linemen, guys like that. But receivers, DBs, we're, we're touching that max velocity once a week and we're, we're testing it and we're seeing where, where we're at. So the field sport athletes, they're not always hitting their absolute maximal running speed. Are you the majority of the time working on the acceleration to how they get to whatever their top speed in a game situation is? Yeah, because if you look at it like in a perfect environment, we have we have an athlete right now that can hit 23.7 miles per hour. Now, and that, that means he can build up however he wants, he can do whatever. But then if we, if we run a 40 from the start, he only gets up to 20 or 21 miles per hour. Why is that? Because what, what's more important is how you attain the max velocity than what your actual top end speed is. Because in football and soccer and lacrosse, you're not, you're not in a perfect environment in a wind tunnel where you could just build up and hit top speed whenever you feel like it. It's literally like you have to be able to turn it on at any moment to get to that, achieve that top speed. So achieving that speed, if you look at what we talked about, 50%, 48 to 50% in those first two steps, 80% by the 10th step. That's a, that's our goal. So how do we get up to 80% of our max velocity within that amount of time? And what depth do we get it at? You know, if it's below 20 yards, it's probably, you're probably spinning your wheels and you're not getting anywhere, you know? So it's all, it's all broken down into distance over time and how much time we're spending at each distance. So yeah, it's achieving that top speed is the most important part. I think you've just alluded to it, but when you're working with a football or a rugby player as opposed to a conventional sprinter, what are the other kind of key performance indicators that you use to look at their acceleration and performance? Yeah, so the way we look at it is like, yeah, how you achieve it is obviously different. But if we learn a pattern, if you learn a pattern and let's say we're doing static starts and people are like, oh, why are you doing static starts for a soccer player? It's like, well, if you teach them, the ideal motion from a, a, a part where they're actually thinking about, you know, okay, I'm setting my feet, I'm driving out extension, cool. Then what we do is we move from a very regimented section to a more chaos level. So now when, we, when we're in the chaos level, now we're looking at different starting positions. So from the ground, from your back, um, hop over a barrier, hop over a cone, you know, do, do a, a quick agility movement into a sprint. Can you keep that same pattern? throughout and the first two steps if you look at the nfl combine you look at um a receiver starting off the line and you look at a track start the best at those in those three categories have nearly the same time from their their stance to their first extension and nearly the same stride length on the first step and nearly the same exact ground contact time on the first step the receiver the guy running the combine and the guy coming out of the blocks. So what that shows you is that if you do it right, you're going to try to achieve the highest level, which is obviously coming out the box. But if you can get 90% of that in your sport from a static or dynamic position, you're going to be ahead. And when you work with these guys, um, you know, the team sports guys, are they coming to you and, purely doing speed work with you or are they doing other aspects of training that they need for their game at the same time yeah so we're doing we're doing everything so like if uh, 
for example, like if a, if a group of guys comes from, um, you know, June to middle of July, what we're doing their strength work, we're doing their massage, nutrition, we're doing the recovery, you know, every single aspect of it. Because a lot of it is built around, you know, the actual what we're doing in the weight room, you know, how they're eating, how they're recovering, what kind of stretching are they getting, what kind of massage are they getting, what kind of support are they getting, you know, all those things. The speed is like the highest level of the pyramid. It's what we show, but there's a lot that goes into it for sure. And how, how does your, um, how does their schedule or your approach um, look at getting the balance between, you know, developing their speed work and then their other goals of, you know, conditioning maybe or heavy strength work or putting on some mass? How do you balance that? Yeah, so it's kind of a conjugated system. Like Monday is acceleration and that's like, we only have two pure speed days. So Monday is an acceleration day. And that's where we're, you know, we're doing starts, we're doing static starts, we're doing um, between 30 and 50% body weight resisted running. Um, you know, we're working on our, our four step drill or seven step drill, which is like our acceleration patterns. And in the weight room, we're doing lower body max lifting. And when I say max 85% and above for our main strength movement with some plyos mixed in between. Tuesday is more of a, a football day. So Tuesday we'll do skill work. We'll do lateral speed. We'll do lateral speed in the warm up, and then we'll go straight to skill work. So now they're working. They have a ball. Um, you know, we do a lot of tennis ball work here too, hand eye stuff, um, and then we'll finish with a little bit of conditioning, usually tempo based, so like seventy percent max speed. If they didn't get enough meters or yards in their in their running in uh, their skill work, and then we go to our max effort upper body. Then on Wednesday we do a pool session, so we're doing a lot of our speed technique stuff in the pool. Uh, a lot of jumping because it's unloaded. Um, we're doing a lot of core work and then a, a large amount of flexibility on this day. So like dynamic flexibility and hurdles, static holds, um, you know, just warm up type stuff, med ball. Thursday, we go and it's another pure speed day. So Thursday is max velocity day. So that's where we're working on our dribble, our step over patterns, our wickets, which is our stride length patterns. Our, our wickets are based on their leg length and, and how tall they are. Um, and then our goals for their, for the stride length. And then we're doing fly runs. So, you know, 20 yard build into a 20 yard, uh, fly. Uh, then we're testing the flies, you know, little things like that on Thursday, we're doing repeat plyos. So, you know, we're doing fast bounds, we're doing pogos, that type of stuff. And then in the weight room, it's our dynamic lower body day. So our percentages drop 60 to 70%, sometimes down to 55 and we're moving weight fast, high velocity, um, and accessories are, are, are more built around just like stability type stuff. You know, there, a lot of these guys are already strong, so we're doing more dynamic movements, a lot of med ball stuff in there, um, a lot and of plyos. Is the accessory work kind of more prescriptive to you know their biomechanics or their needs? Or yeah, everyone has a, a different um, a different accessory base based on just based on where they're at. So some athletes, like they do need a little bit more strength work because some athletes need a little bit more like mobility type, you know, mobility type strength work. So they're working on more range of motion, lighter weight, um, or they're, they're completely dynamic, just using med balls or pushing a sled, pulling a sled. That would be the dynamic day for us. And then on Friday, we go back to skill work. So they're doing, they have their skill coach or, and we're doing multi-directional warm up. 
And then in the weight room, that's when we're looking at like our hypertrophy for upper body day. So we, we call it a gun show Friday or flex it Friday. Or, you know, that's when they have fun and turn the music up and just get after it. And just, you know, it's more of just like an aesthetic day, like just makes them feel good. Um, some guys, we don't like do that anymore because they, they just bulk, 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 bulk up. And, but you know, a lot of the guys, it's fine. If the guys are, they're afraid of getting bulky, you know, it's just push up, pull up variations. And not not many guys stuff. have that luxury, do they genetically? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so. when they do the skills work, have you got, um, you know, football specific or rugby specific skills coaches that are working with them with game aspects, or is it more the movements that feed into their position? Yeah, it's, it's more basic stuff. So as we get closer to training camp, you'll see more, um, you'll see more like game like situations but in the beginning. It's just basic. They just came out of OTAs generally. So they have a good base. They, they're kind of sick of football for a little bit. So we'll do basic movements like DBs will do basic back pedals, you know, hand-eye coordination, receivers, new routes. As we start getting more into like week three, week four, you, you're going to see the guys doing like full routes, like running routes with a, with a quarterback. Um, and the DBs, you know, shadowing routes. And then week four or five, you see them doing one-on-ones. Uh, some guys get into even some seven-on-seven stuff if you have enough guys. Like I know Stars does a really good job of that. Um, but mostly in San Diego, they just do more routes, those types of things. For, for rugby, um, what we've done is, like, more skills-based. Like, there's a guy, Charlie Purden, over here in San Diego. He's a great skill coach. He works with a lot of the guys on, on skill work and, you know, they don't do any tackling or anything like that. Cause they spend rugby guys spend nine to 10 months out of the year playing, playing rugby. So they really don't want to do any like game stuff really. Yeah. So it's more just skill based. So, and do the, are you getting guys, um, from teams sent to you or are they generally kind of sending themselves to you? Yeah, like we have we have a good relationship with some of the strength coaches in the, in the NFL, but they don't they they don't really like they'll they'll send guys here and there, but it's they're they're usually like oh who are you going to and they'll say oh I'm going to West Spelman Performance and they'll be like oh yeah okay cool you know it's more just the guys are kind of just letting their their coaches know what they're doing in the off season, um, so we we get guys just on their own merit like through their agent usually if, if it's anyone uh, we got a couple of good agents that'll just be like hey i got a guy in town he, he wants to come get some work in with you it's pretty it's pretty low-key you know we got a we got a core group of guys that stick stick through every off season and then you'll see a couple couple guys trickle in you know they'll come for a couple of days and then that's it you know so you're, get, you're given the kind of free reign to do what you want and develop them and help them as you see fit exactly exactly like some guys, like their skill set is is more a power based thing, or you know, it's just everybody has the, the one thing they really want to work on that off season. And you know, for me, I I don't want to be the guy that limits athletes because I want them to do something. It's like they'll come and they get some work, they will learn something, and then they'll go, they might go somewhere else and, and learn a new skill set. And that's what they should be doing. They should be learning from as many people as possible and growing. And that's the goal. So we're just a resource. You're obviously working with, um, you know, top tier athletes, you know, regardless of which sport they're from. Um, where do you turn to or where do you go to now for your 
development as a coach or um, you know broadening your knowledge where where do you actually go for that yeah I, th- I think the most influential person in my career is Jonas Dodu over in uh, the UK you know everything that he does I, you know I, I literally just watched his last um, seminar like 10 times and I'm still taking notes on it uh, so yeah I think he's a he's a genius he's the best out there in the world and super humble and spent some time with him uh, this this year and then couple years ago as well so I've learned a, a ton from him um, and then Altus has a great online resource that you know coaching resource it's like something like ten dollars a month it's nothing and then I learned so much from that um, and then I study Ralph Mann I, I've read his book five six times uh, Franz Bosch I'm, I'm reading through his book for the third time um, and anything Exos does is obviously amazing you know, they have great, great resources. Uh, Nick Winkleman, great resource. Um, I would say those are like my, my core. Um, there's a couple of like trainers like uh, Michael Drake out in Chicago. Incredible. Um, you know, there's a lot of great trainers in L.A. You know, honestly, like I, I try to take a little bit from everyone, you know, because everyone has a different environment and your environment kind of dictates your coaching style. So my environment, you know, is, is not like uh, is, I'm not in a team environment. So sometimes I'll call guys that work with teams, you know, that, that are full time with the team because the way that they approach it, it's obviously a lot different. Like they can take their time and build. Like I usually get five, six weeks and guys are expecting a miracle. I'm like, OK, cool. Like, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> you know? no, no pressure. But, yeah. So for them, they, you know, they got three, four years in Olympic build up to, to achieve the same goal. So it's always cool to, to see that perspective. And sometimes I need to be humbled. So I'll call somebody and be like, where am I, where am I wrong? And they'll, and they'll tell me. So I spent a lot of time learning. Probably I spend, I block off like two and a half, three hours a day for just reading. And then um, I probably spend another like 45 minutes to an hour like calling somebody. Yeah. And do you have mentors now or have you had kind of key mentors to get to where you are now? Oh, yeah. I mean... I've had a lot, you know, Jonas is like a, a virtual mentor. Um, Elias at EFT sports performance. He, he really gave me like a, a business model and also like training model. Um, yeah. I mean, even my partner, Dylan, Dylan Carrion, he's to me, he's the best out there. Like he, the way that he thinks about speed and sprinting and, and all of that, like he's got a mind for it. So we kind of mentor each other. And he's my co-founder, business partner, everything. So we spent a lot of time just like bouncing ideas like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And just playing around with stuff. And then we coach like every single day we coach at least four hours right now. So we spend those four hours testing certain theories out. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And by the time we get a pro athlete, we've already tested it a hundred times, you know, because we're going through this process of learning, testing, applying scrapping it starting over you know i got a i got a i painted a blackboard in my in my kitchen and it's full of you know it's a blackboard so you write chalk on it and it's full and then i race it and then it's full and then i race it and it's full and then just trying out ideas to see what works so but so come january when we get our pros i'm confident and i've tested it out hundreds hundreds and hundreds of times on youth athletes and you know any anybody really and 
you obviously put a lot of good content. You know, I've I've come across you on social media a lot, and you put a lot of good content out there. Do you have, um, you know, educational resources out there for kind of aspiring coaches, or is there plans to do that? Yeah, there's there's a lot of plans to do that right now. So we just developed an app. It's it's in the app store now, but it's it's just a beta version. So we're still working on it. But our goal right now is, I think we need to educate a lot of coaches, especially young coaches coming up. And uh, give them as much information and resource as possible. Because I felt like when I was coming up, a lot of the coaches that had information didn't want to share it. Because they wanted to protect their, you know, their brand or make it secretive so that people only came to them. But the way we look at it is this. Like, the better the athletes get here, the more money they're going to make and the more money that they can spend on training. So <laughs> why not help as many athletes as possible? And then secondary like the goal isn't always financial like we our goal was to inspire one million people it was never to make a million dollars obviously like we'd love to make a million dollars but we want to inspire as many people as possible so half the people no i wouldn't even say half i would say 95 percent of the people that we work with on a daily basis will never become professional athletes but those people and we've seen this happen will become a business person or a lawyer or doctor or someone else like I have I have former youth clients that are real estate agents that are lawyers that are you know car salesmen policemen whatever but we give them a base of understanding and give them a system to follow they learn how to adapt in systems so when they go to work and they're in the working profession they know how to they know how to work because they've been in a system it's not new for them athletes and people that don't apply to a system struggle in other areas of their life because everything is cohesive so our our goal is really just to, to get into as many people's lives as possible. And doing that, we use our education. We've discussed your work with youth athletes through to professional athletes. Um, but I know that your work extends into the community as well. Can you tell us about that wider reach that you have? Um, so, yeah, that's that's where the YMCA came in because we're looking at it, we're like, I set a goal in March and I said, you know, I want to, I want to work with, I want to help more youth. And, and honestly, if you look at how the private training model is and how most models are in performance, you know, you get, you open up a gym, you have 200 clients or so, and then you work with those people. It's 200 if you're lucky, usually like hundred and you work with that population for some time. And then a new group comes in, you know, you do your thing which is great. It's a great way to make a living if, if that's what you do and if your rent as well. But you're limited on how many people you can actually truly affect and how many people you can actually help. So our goal was to partner with the organization that we could implement our system into that the system would basically be there to support the communities that we're in. So the first one we're doing is in, is in Lincoln Park, which is one of the highest crime neighborhoods in san diego and people don't think of san diego as like having crime but there's gangs there's there's a lot of drugs there's a lot going on in san diego and you know a lot of these kids have nothing so our first one we did right there boom so we're starting that program and it's scholarship so you can people that don't need scholarships obviously are, are going to you know pay for it but the people that want to be in the program but can't afford it we've developed a scholarship program for them to be in it so there's almost no excuse for an athlete in this area not to be able to train with us. 
And that was like a, ma- a major goal ever since I started was to develop a program like that. And that's, that's what we accomplished this month. Um, and we're going to spread this to more YMCA's eventually. But what we're doing is just trying to capture as many athletes as possible. And out, so if you look at a group of 100 athletes in, in Lincoln Park, out of those 100 athletes, I would say 70, 80 percent of them are lacking the support at home or at their school or with their team or can't afford meals or can't afford training or can't afford. There's something financial within that. So our goal is to remove the financial component and say out of those 100 athletes, you know, this there's probably the most gifted athletes in the city right there, but most aren't making it. And why? Because they don't have the resources. So give them the resources and see what happens and see how many athletes we can push to college, see how many athletes we can push to the professional ranks. Because right now, making it from Lincoln Park to the professional ranks, you have to get lucky. We've had a couple do it. You have to be in a perfect situation. So we want to eliminate that and just create more opportunities. That's really cool. I mean, you obviously work with the top one percenters, but it's it's really refreshing to hear that you give back to the community and you've, you kind of... C- you know, focus in on that participation level and the broader benefits that sport can bring to people, not just the, you know, the people that are already in, in the game as a pro and need a bit more help. Exactly. Yep, exactly. And you've, you've obviously mentioned your, your programs and your app. Is there anything else you've got coming up or things that listeners should look out for? Yeah, we're going to start a camp series in 2020. And uh, so, again, we're, we're, we're all about casting the net super wide. And we spent the past eight, nine years developing our system so that we could teach it to other coaches and other people. So what we want to do is we want to do a camp series in 2020. And our goal is to test as many athletes as possible, collect data on that and those athletes. So we're going to have them in pretty cool locations. Like I think our first one is going to be at the Arizona Cardinals indoor. And we're inviting athletes of all sports to come test. When those athletes test, they're going to get a score. It's called the S3 diagnostic score. Within that, it'll have their max miles per hour, their start miles per hour, their split times. It'll give them a basically a diagnostic of what their sprint form is based on time. And then from there, we give them opportunities to train with us using our app until the next time they test. And, you know, speed is such a valuable, valuable thing because most sports outside of swimming involve you landing on one foot to the other foot and running in a game and if you're a swimmer the first thing you do when you go to swim practice is they teach you the technique of swimming if you play water polo they teach you okay this is how you swim this is how you go okay hit boom go because it's not natural we're running isn't either because we spend all day sitting we spend all day driving like our body isn't set up to run full speed so what we what we want to do is switch the model where the first thing you do when you learn to do a sport is you learn how to run so from the first time you start running, doing all that in a sport at eight, nine years old, that's the first time you're introduced to running technique. And our goal is to switch the model so that every single sport adopts that model and teaches athletes how to run better throughout their careers. That's very cool. That's a good way to do it. And where can people find all these, uh, all your different developments and projects? Is, is there like a central place that you... Um, you give the information out for them? Yeah. So the, the main thing is our app is going to be the app store. It is, it is now, uh, you need the access code to get on there, but, uh, I would recommend that everyone just downloads the app and then we're going to send out updates very soon. That'll have programming on there. 
Uh, our website is spellmanperformance.com. My Instagram is spellmanperformance. And a lot of the updates are going through there. Um, so over the next couple of months, we're going to start slowly releasing and launching everything. And, uh, you know, just check out for the updates. If you're in San Diego, the easiest way to contact us is just through the website, um, email, you know, and I recommend like anybody, like I respond to every single message I get, every single one. And my girlfriend hates it because I spend all day doing it, but, you know, reach out because we're, we're here to help. We're here to influence the culture and help as many people as possible. Yeah. Well, Les, thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Um, you're, you're clearly a really inspiring guy. Um, and I, I encourage all the listeners to look you up and follow you. You're putting out a lot of good content in, it seems, every direction. Um, and it's all in a good place. So, yeah, thanks for uh, your contributions and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks, mate. I want to thank Les again for coming on the show today. I think everybody would agree with me that his route from injury to athlete to coaching is super inspiring and he's doing some really great work. Everybody and everything mentioned on today's show will be linked up in the show notes if you want to turn to informperformance.com. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at informperformance. Thanks for listening.